available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome back, everybody, to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site of the Scout.com network. And I am Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com, the USC site of the Scout.com network. And we are the Podcast of Champions. After a brief hiatus, taking one week off, we want to recap what happened in the Pac-12 championship game, talk about the upcoming bowl games for the Pac-12, and lots of news and notes that always happens at the end of the season. If you want to get a hold of us, Email is great, pac12podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at pac12podcast. Our website where we try to update everything is pac12podcast.com. And you can even leave us a voicemail, 641-715-3900 is the number, extension 734-972. Well, welcome back to the Podcast of Champions, Dave. We took a little break, but we're back now and uh, ready to talk some football. I think everybody who's who's listened to this podcast all year understands why. Um, I was obviously in mourning after um, my Colorado Buffs lost to uh, Washington. I've been a long time Colorado fan for eleven games, and it was uh, that was a tough thing to get through. But I did it. Um, I'm back. I'm ready. I'm pumped. Um, we've got to recap that game. We've got to talk about a bunch of coaching changes. We've got to talk about all kinds of crazy nonsense. Um, here in the, uh, the eve of Pac-12 Bowls, which will start up December 27th. So there's a lot to talk about, but, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm raring to go. I'm ready. I'm ready too. I miss our little chats. And, uh, it's funny. I run into people around and, uh, that are, you know, SC fans or if they, they're like they're on bro and they're like, Oh, I know you or whatever. Um, they always say, I love you and Dave on the podcast of champions. So. <laughs> At least that's what they say to my face. They haven't told me like you guys suck or whatever, but that's that's kind of nice to hear that. Yeah, no, I think um you are universally um well liked. Um even among the bros, I find. I think I get a little bit more um a little bit more negativity probably cuz I troll a little bit more than you. <laughs> like just a little bit more, but I think that that gets orders of magnitude. Yeah. Yeah. But what can you do? What can you do? We are we are here uh, to please the uh, the listenership in any way that we can. I think we're equal opportunity trollers. Like if, you know, at the beginning of the year, we were both railing on USC. We had them ranked number 12, you know, number, know. 12, number 12, number 12 in our power rankings. And, you know, and, and when UCLA started to struggle, we put them down too. I mean, you know, I think we're equal opportunity uh, bashers if we have to be. I, I think I, I might be more obvious troll, you know. I think you're a you're a more subtle troll. I think your trolling doesn't necessarily always come across as trolling, whereas mine, um, you know, I'm not a subtle man. There's a there's there's some obviousness to uh, pretty much any of my trolling, you know. There, it, with my trolling, you can almost hear the rim shot in the background. Um, so, it's hard to be subtle yeah. when you got that beard, you know, that glorious yeah. beard. There's no, not there's, that's not subtle. There's, there's no subtlety in the red beard. None whatsoever. Um, I guess we've put it off long enough. Uh, Washington did beat Colorado in the Pac-12 championship game. The, uh, uh, wait, hold on. We'll it, do our quick Pac-12 roundup. 
because it's very <laughs> it's not short. Not much of a roundup, you know. Yeah, because it's very short this week because we had Washington Huskies. <laughs> As I predicted, beating the absolute snot out of Colorado Buffaloes. You know what was weird about this game? All right, so Washington um, beat Colorado forty-one to ten, and it—I mean, it was. Was it, it was that close? About, it, it was about what that looked like. Um, but the thing for me was, if Sefo Lufau doesn't go back in that game in the second half, there's no way this is a 31-point win for Washington. Because he went out there. Did he throw all three of his picks in the second half? Yeah, I think they were all, were they all like third quarter or something? I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, they, they were just butt throws, just like right to the defense, you know, or like tipped, but they were really wild and off. I mean, Steven Montez looked a little bit rusty since he hasn't played consistently since that stretch where he started games, but yeah, I, I, I have a feeling he wouldn't have been making those same mistakes. And, you know, I think Sefa was obviously hurt, but, um, you know, if you don't trot him back out there, I think that Colorado keeps it a little bit more respectable. I don't think they win. I mean, this was clearly a, a case where Washington had a lot more talent probably had a coaching advantage as much as I like what Mike McIntyre did this year. I think Chris Peterson uh, had had a good game plan on both sides of the ball. Um, I mean, Washington got past what was a miserable performance from Jake Browning, 9 of 24 for 118 yards, and still managed to put up 41 points and beat, uh, I mean, I think we'll still all say, a very good Colorado team by 31 Yeah. Um, in a big spot. Um yeah, this was, I mean, this was the most dominated that Colorado's offense has been all year. I mean, even Michigan didn't do this to them. Um, you know, Colorado only managed 81 total passing yards. Um, not much more success on the ground, 82 yards on the ground. Um, defensively, uh, you know, I thought they did a nice job as they've done all year. They couldn't really defend against the run particularly well. LeVon Coleman especially ran really, really well in this yeah, game. He was good. Uh, but Jake Browning uh, didn't have a great game. Made a couple of throws where it counted. John Ross made an incredible. I, I know this is now like two weeks ago, so everyone's you know had had time for the excitement to die down. That catch remains insane. It was um, yeah. reaching up into the heavens, grabbing the ball that was just kind of a wild errant throw out of bounds, and then turning it into a touchdown. Um, made Jake Browning's stat line look uh, semi. <laughs> palatable but yeah um my buffs my buffs went down but it does not diminish what was a resurgent season for colorado yeah um i don't you know so the spread was seven and a half and uh you know the only pac-12 game i picked washington did pick colorado um but he, he's got better news coming on the picks the rest of the way uh-huh. oh, yeah. um but i didn't see it being this much of a blowout and it was weird the way it started okay so Colorado, we have to always talk about the coin toss, right? Um, so yeah. they won the toss. They're 12 and one on the year, the coin toss. Um, so I feel weird that like Mike Leach talked about like the luck of the coin toss and how important it was and have sending the guy out that was on the prices right and everything. But it was Colorado that d- dominated the toy coin, uh, the twin cost, the coin toss twin this toss, year. Yeah. <laughs> so good start. But okay. So do you remember the game against Utah? Yeah. Colorado didn't have a penalty. The yeah. very first play of the game, they kicked the ball out of bounds. And then they got pass interference on the second play. So they had no penalties in one game. And then, like, the first two plays of the game. And so that was more Pac-12-like to me, Dave. Like, that felt more like having a team with no penalties did not seem Pac-12-y. And then this way. But obviously, it didn't. It wasn't a great start for for Colorado. And you figure if you make Jake Browning 
struggle that much. It's going to be a much closer game, but man, it just wasn't. Yeah, and I thought in this game it was kind of, you know, Colorado's offense, which had been good all year, but not necessarily super explosive. This kind of exposed some of its weaknesses. You know, a lot of the dink and dunk stuff they did, it just doesn't quite work against a defense and a secondary as good as Washington's. Um, and, you know, they've had issues this year against good defenses. You know, they weren't super great against UCLA, and UCLA is no great defense, but they're good. Um, they weren't good against Stanford offensively. I think, you know, if you're, if you've got a note that's not super positive coming out of this season for Colorado, I think figuring out something more on the offensive scheme side, because I think they were just a little bit limited in what they could do. Um, they, they couldn't really stretch the ball downfield as much. You know, they kind of stopped doing that after the first, you know, four or five games of the year. Um, and I think that maybe limited them a little bit. I think Sefa Lufau was probably a little bit more limited than anybody thought coming out coming back from the initial leg injury um, after, what was it, Michigan, where he went down. Um, so I think uh, I think figuring something a little bit more out offensively, um, and we'll get to it, but also defensively now that they've lost Jim Levitt. Um, but Washington, let's talk, uh, Colorado's been great, but Washington, um, you know, we're <clears throat> only a few years removed from the seven-win Sark era, excuse me, <clears throat> And they just went 12 and one, and eight wow. and one in conference. Won the conference, and uh, they're going to the playoff. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. Um, there was a lot of drama, and we'll we'll kind of talk about that when we talk about the bowl selection and stuff. But very, very good, very, very cool for Chris Peterson in Washington. Uh, shows you why you want to hire a guy like that because he's really freaking good at what he does. Um, certainly, Mike McIntyre had a great year too. It just you know, you figure if this game was played, you know, 10 times, it wouldn't, they wouldn't all be like this. Um, you know, the beginning, I, I think just Colorado got off that bad start and they gave up a touchdown drive on their very, you know, opening drive. That's the first time they've done that all year, Dave. But yes. really, you mentioned this, like kind of in the opening, the, the quarterback situation. Um, I got in a real like Twitter war during this game, which, you know, I don't, it's funny. Like that's, First world problems or whatever you get in like Twitter wars during a game. But, um, the Cephal Lufau thing, people would talk about, oh, you know, when they, you know, Steven Montet, like when, when they lost the, to USC or whatever, when they, they were struggling that he wasn't starting and he came out of the game. I mean, like people were acting like Steven Montez isn't a really good quarterback and he's, he showed that he can be. When Lufau got hurt, I mean, they hadn't scored a point and Montez comes in and leads them on a touchdown drive. Um, and all these people, on Twitter, they were just like crushing him and saying he was terrible and all this stuff. And I was like, I think I direct message with, uh, Kyle Bonagora from, uh, ESPN, um, about that. I'm like, are these people insane? He's like, yeah, like Montez has got a stronger arm. He's like, he's a really good quarterback. Like I don't get, um, so when, when they put Lufau back in and it was obvious that he was struggling. It's not like you didn't have a good option there, Dave. That's, that's why it was kind of weird to me. It's like, yeah, I get it. If they're both hundred percent healthy, you're going with Lufau, but you know, Sefa was, was not, he was struggling. And like you said, turned the ball over a bunch of times. Like at what point do you go back? Like, okay, this isn't working. We have to go back to Montez and at least give yourself a shot. All right. So people are pointing to that, that game against USC for Steven Montez, right? That, that was the game where, Oh, it's obvious that he can't, he can't do this. Right. Yes. 
let's 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 just take a look at what quarterbacks did against USC this year. All right. Um, after they started to surge a little bit. So ASU, Manny Wilkins, 13 of 24 for 148 yards, one interception. Uh, Colorado, Stephen Montez, 25 of 40 for 197 yards, one touchdown and one interception. Not great. Not great by any means. But keep that in mind. Arizona, Matt Morin, whoever that is, four of eight for 84 yards, one touchdown and one interception. Um, whoever that is. We're barely going to acknowledge Cal's video game offense, but Davis Webb had, like, you know, just kind of an okay Davis Webb game, 34 of 53 for 333 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Justin Herbert for Oregon, you know, that star true freshman ever is raving about, 18 of 33 for 162 yards, one touchdown. Uh, Washington, Jake Browning, this vaunted guy, 17 of 36, so under 50% passing, 259 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, UCLA, Mike, Mike Faithful, 15 of 31 for 181 yards, two touchdowns. After USC got good, nobody was throwing the ball on them very well. So, I, I, I mean, yeah, okay, so Steven Montez had a rough game against them. Steven Montez was pretty damn good otherwise this entire year. I mean, he, was 23 of 32 against Oregon for 333 yards, three touchdowns and two picks. Uh, against Oregon State, he was 19 of 27 for 293 yards and three touchdowns. And Oregon State wasn't a bad pass defense. Um, you could make an argument. I'm not going to make it because I don't necessarily believe it, but you can make an argument. He was more effective than Sefo Lufau this year after the first two games of the season. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a completely valid argument to make, and I think... Um, I think that Washington game would have been an opportune moment based on he already spent some time getting him ready for that kind of moment by starting him in three games this year. Um, you know, you had it available to you to, you know, play him in that game and, and still have a shot. So, yeah, I thought that was probably a misstep. Um, I, I thought they trotted Cepho out a lot this year where he was clearly banged up, where they could have maybe gone to Montez a little bit more. But, you know, they had a great season, 10 and 3 can't complain that much no and it's uh yeah it's that was just weird i just found that kind of weird and i found it weird that there was a lot of hate out there for montez who's going to be i think he's going to do a great job uh there going forward you know and um i mean who knows davis webb if davis webb ends up going to colorado instead of cal who knows what would have you know transpired and all this i mean we never probably never would have seen him and uh it's great we did so i think i think he's got a bright future there so i just don't get the uh the people saying he was terrible. Um, so we, so that was the game. Uh, do you want us to share anything else or should we talk about our picks for the rest of the championship game? No, let's, let's, let's move on to where <laughs> I really cleaned your clock. <laughs> you did. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh-huh. this is, I don't know how fair this is, people. Like we were picking, hey, we agreed to this and <laughs> let's not have any of this crying over spilt milk. We agreed to it. It's, uh, it's, it's part of the, uh, canon now. It's part, okay. So we did agree to this. Um, and I felt, I really felt at one point I was going five and oh, um, mm-hmm. cause I was at one point three and oh. So, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, we both took Oklahoma, their favorite by 11. So we won that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both took Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, yes. against Florida. They beat Florida by a, by all of the points. Yeah, so there's a whole bunch of points there. They were favored by 24. And then the last two games, we had different. And I um, I think I left the house. We were going out like for happy hour or something. And uh, Penn State was 
uh, losing handily to Wisconsin. By 21 points, in fact. Yeah. And uh, Clemson um, was uh, beating, I think, Virginia Tech by 14 or something like that. So the spread for Clemson-Virginia Tech was 10. Mm -hmm. I had uh, Clemson. Dave had Virginia Tech. And the Wisconsin spread, Wisconsin was favored by two and a half. I had Wisconsin. Dave had Penn State. So I leave the house. I'm like feeling really good. And we get to the bar or whatever. I'm looking up. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And it just, and all of a sudden it changed. Yeah. It did. It just suddenly changed. And, uh, <laughs> and the end result, Brian, was that, uh, that I went four and one that week. Dave went, went four and two. Yeah. Four and one. Um, you know, under protest. No, I'm just kidding. No. So that, yes. Uh, so that was, yeah, those scores switched. Um, as you know, Penn State went on to win the, and they're going to the Rose Bowl. And then Clemson, you know, Virginia Tech kept it close, but, uh, Clemson still won and they're in the playoff. Um, so I went three and two, Dave went four and one. So that would mean, so after the regular season plus championship games, um, it's close. It was close. 48, 32 and three for me, which is, you know, really good. And 46, 34 and three for Dave. So within two games of each other, both, you know, way above 500, both making you lots of money if you were taking our picks to Vegas all year. Which next year I think we might have to do that, Dave. We might have just to put a little fun together. I think we talked about this before. Put you yeah. know, yeah. I think we could. Um. Okay. So those were those games, and then we had to wait. So if you remember, because this was you know two weeks ago, we had to wait until uh, the championship games were over, and then when the college football playoff rankings came out, because. We didn't know if Washington was going to be in the top four and make the playoff. And we didn't know if Colorado or USC, if that happened, Colorado or USC would be ranked higher. Then that person, that team would go to the Rose Bowl. And same yeah. thing on the Big Ten side. If Ohio State or whoever made the play, if Ohio State made the playoff, um, or, you know, whoever won the championship, Penn State won the championship, if they won the, you know, it, it was all going to depend on the rankings and stuff. So we kind of had to wait for that. Yeah, and um, you know, I think if Colorado maybe hadn't gotten the just absolute piss kicked out of them like they did against Washington, um, they might have had a shot to retain the Rose Bowl. But losing by 31 points in the Pac-12 championship game is pretty emphatic, and uh, that that pushed uh, USC along with USC's very very hot finish to the season. Can we really call it a hot finish? It's more like a hot like three quarters of the season. <laughs> Um, very, very good three quarters of the season, uh, propelled them into the Rose Bowl, which, uh, sets up a kind of classic matchup with Penn State, which will be kind of fun. It will. Yeah. Both teams, uh, are finishing hot, like you said, or last three quarters of the season where, you know, Penn State's won their last nine. USA won their last eight. So they're 17 or no between them. That's pretty good. Um, but we can, we'll, so what, we thought we'd go over the bowl schedule and then we'll do another episode where we kind of preview, uh, yeah. the bowl games and maybe we'll get, uh, the various Pac-12 publishers to call in and do some of our work for us. We could do that. Dave. Yeah. That's what we need to do because this, this, we don't, I mean, what do we know about Indiana? Really? <laughs> you know? True. Um, so. we don't know much. Uh, just like we didn't know about Rice and we predicted that one right though. We knew, we nailed that. We one. knew enough. We knew enough that they weren't going to lose by 35 or whatever it was. Well, no, but Stanford's not beating anybody by 35 points this year. <laughs> yeah, it was more about what we knew about Stanford than what we knew uh, about Rice. So not as many Pac-12 teams in nope. uh, bowl games. But what we do have is choice. You know, we've got six 
solid Pac-12 teams. Yeah. And there's now, none no, of this garbage this year. We've got six really nice teams that are going to do well. And there's no that Royal Purple Vegas Bowl for no, us? No, none of that. None of that. None of that Cactus Bowl. We're not doing that this year. Yeah. No. This is just, we, you know, we're doing the cream of the crop. We're not starting at anything below, like, Holiday Bowl, Foster Farms Bowl. Just not happening. Sun Bowl. Whatever. Whatever's the last one. I don't even know what that is anymore. Yeah, well, when you get a whole bunch of teams finishing two and seven and three and six in the conference, like that's that's what happens. So yeah, a bunch of trash football teams, you know, and you know it happens. It happens. Um, but it's a nice bowl slate. I mean, it, it, the only unfortunate part is with none of those trash bowls um, being occupied by Pac-12 teams, we have to wait till the twenty seventh before we get to start watching Pac-12 football again. Um, you know, typically. There'd be games this weekend because yeah. the Vegas Bowl this weekend is the Cactus Bowl this weekend too. I'm not even sure. It, it might be. You know, I have to look it up. I think. Yeah. But yeah, yeah but, we, were, uh, we were looking at it like, oh, that's weird. Like, usually you know, you you don't see SEC teams play until January, or whatever. But yeah, exactly December 27th. But I guess we can go through. So Dave said December 27th, uh, the National Funding Holiday Bowl. This is in uh, Qualcomm Stadium, which is an absolute dump. I'm sorry. I don't, I've covered that. It is such a hole. It is, it a is hole. such a hole. Um, it's in San Diego, which is beautiful. Qualcomm is yeah. a hole. Uh, I've had to cover a game down there twice. So it's, uh, Minnesota, who is eight and four, taking on your Washington State Cougars. Also at eight and four. And that's a, uh, 4 p.m. kickoff and it'll be on ESPN. Yeah. And I think this will be a fun game. Um, I think it's a, uh, contrasting styles for sure. Um, I can't imagine Minnesota has faced a whole lot of pass happy air raid attacks in the uh, stodgy Big Ten. Um, so this will be a lot of fun. Uh, Minnesota probably played over its head a lot this year. Um, they're maybe not as good as their eight and four record indicates. Whereas Washington State, I mean, they were, you know, up until the last two weeks of the season, they had a chance to uh, potentially win. They had a chance to win the Pac-12 going into uh, the Colorado game. So they uh, they may be a little bit better than their record. Minnesota may be a little bit worse. Um, so I think this could be a, a nice start to the Pac-12 bowl season. It very well could. Uh, you know, got to travel west. It's not easy. And uh, Washington State had a great middle. Uh, not a so good beginning or end. So they're going to try to put a little cherry on top of that season. We'll see. Hopefully uh, Mike Leach can figure something out there. December 28th. Dave, the uh, Foster Farms Bowl, that's up in Santa Clara, California at Levi Stadium, which is new, not a huge fan of, uh, but, you know, whatever. It's uh, It kind of looks like the Home Depot Center down here in L.A. Well, it's not called that anymore. It's like StubHub Center, like on it's steroids. It's, it's, it's a dump. Yeah. Levi Stadium is a dump. Okay. I, I was trying to be nice, you know, because no, that's where a, we have our Pac-12 championship game and all that stuff. Uh, and the, the 49ers, which I, they're probably, I don't follow the NFL much. They're probably good this year, I would assume, with, uh, Chip <laughs> Kelly as a head no. coach. No. They're not. They're oh. not. <laughs> okay. Not. They're a dump team in a dump stadium. <laughs> so six and six, uh, Indiana, uh, takes on number 19 ranked Utah Utes at eight yeah, this one's on. Yeah. This one's on at, uh, 5.30 p.m. on Fox on Wednesday, December 28th. Um, I don't know much about you to, about Indiana. Um, I know their defense was pretty good this year, and I know they just fired their coach for uh, being harsh to players about injuries and stuff. 
So they've got kind of a dark cloud coming into this game. And Utah's Utah. Uh, strong defense. Um, has an offense. <laughs> there is one Not, there. There's a- <laughs> there is an offense. Um, they have a revolving door of offensive coordinators. And um, maybe they will generate some points against a stout, uh, stout Indiana defense. I don't. I don't think this game's going to be very watchable. I think this one might have a low watchability factor, but I will say this. It will be a football game, and football games in general are uh, somewhat watchable. So there you go. Football games are better than non-football games. Like are we Exactly. Yeah. That's a great point. They're better than, say, soccer games. <laughs> soccer games, not very watchable. I know that's an unpopular opinion among the... Uh, among probably a lot of you, but not not as watchable as like a, a high school football game. So um, <laughs> this is a very it, winnable game, Dave. If, if if number nineteen, who Utah was losing games and moving up the college football ranking, so somebody knows something because they must yeah. be better than we even thought. Exactly, because they lose and move up, which is good. I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Six that and six, Indiana turmoil. Like they got to win that game, right? They can't lose that game on the West Coast. I would have to think so. I would have to think so. I'd, I'd have to think Utah fan will travel out for that game too. You know, spend a little, little post Christmas in the Bay Area. Why not? Yeah. Sounds like fun. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think Utah has a pretty good chance in that one. We have, uh, Thursday, December 29th, uh, the Valero Alamo Bowl. Uh, that's down in San Antonio, uh, at the Alamo Dome, uh, which Dave and I go down there frequently for the Army All American game. Uh, this will be on December 29th, though. It's, uh, should be a good one. Number 12, Oklahoma State. They're nine and three. And one of the games they lost, they shouldn't have lost because it was a terrible call at the end. Um, and then number 10, Dave's favorite team. Colorado Buffaloes. 10 game winner, 10 and three, Colorado. Buff Stampede. Uh, this one's on at 6 p.m. on December 29th, Thursday on ESPN. Um, Here's what I know about the Big 12 this year. There's not a single team in that league that really plays defense. I know there was like conversation that West Virginia kind of does, but they don't really. Um, Colorado's offense, which was not the strongest part of their team this year, um, it's probably good enough to score 40 points on a, uh, you know, Big 12 team. Um, the question is, you know, those powerful Big 12 offenses, are they going to be able to tear apart Colorado's defense, especially now that Colorado's defense is without Jim Levitt, uh, who's moving on to Oregon as their D.C.? Um, this should be a very interesting game. Sefa Lufel probably will be relatively healthy by the time this game starts. Probably will, you know, hurt his ankle again, like midway through the second quarter, and Steven Montez will come in for a few snaps. Um you know, I, I, I like Colorado's chances in this one. I think, uh, I think I would like a comparative, comparative level Pac-12 team against a comparative level Big 12 team any matchup at this point. I don't think the Big 12s are very strong this year. I think the best team in the Pac-12 would beat up on Oklahoma and I think it would kind of go from there. And I think these two teams are comparable teams in their respective leagues. So yeah, I think I'd probably take Colorado right now. Yeah, I'm curious. I haven't looked at the lines. We can, you know, we can do that during our preview show when we yeah. do picks and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think Colorado is ready to bounce back. It's going to depend on how healthy Lufau is. Cause I, I feel like if, if, if he's not healthy and they just stick with Montez, they'll be fine. But it's like the back and forth, I think that's kind of been causing some problems. So, um, yeah, but they, they, great cornerbacks. And I think they'll be able to. Do a pretty good job against the Oklahoma State passing game, passing game. So we'll see. It should be, that should be a good one. Um, you know, two teams that are ranked, uh, 
you know, in the top 12. Um, let's see. Uh, Friday, December 30th, it's the uh, Hyundai or Hyundai, however you want to say it. Uh, Sun Bowl. That's in El Paso, Texas, which I've been to a couple times. I don't know if you've ever been there, yeah. Dave. Oh, yeah. The Sun yeah, Bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a girlfriend in college that was from there, and she wasn't a big fan. She never went back. Uh, it's a it's a place like it's a city like it's uh it's it's a it's a city in texas and it was yeah like juarez is right across the the river there yeah, it's uh, right there like, it's Juarez like, is right there you see it like right there yeah so. yeah um a lot of people died there a lot of people yeah that's way to bring it down <laughs> i know just uh el paso it's it's a place <laughs> but we it's have a place uh, name yeah Eight and four North Carolina Tar Heels taking on the number eighteenth ranked uh, nine and three Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, if you like some Friday morning football, this is your jam. Uh, on at eleven a.m. on CBS, the Sun Bowl. Uh, this game. So I, I want to give a shout out because I've just denigrated their poor little city. Um, it's not little, it's like a million people live there. Um, but they're poor city, but the sun bowl people, like the people who run the sun bowl are the best bowl people. And I don't mean to like cast aspersions on the other bowl people, but the hospitality people, the people working around the bowl, they're so proud of their bowl and they are so hospitable and just great with, uh, the media, with the fans, with the teams. It's a great experience. El Paso is a place. But uh, the Sun Bowl itself is a is a fun and a good experience. Lane Kiffin's horrible behavior there uh, one December pass, notwithstanding. Yes. Um, the game, the game itself. Um, North Carolina, kind of horribly disappointing this year um, for a lot of North Carolina fans. Um, Stanford, kind of just Stanford went nine and three. Who thought that was happening at any point this year? But it did. And this is not a great Stanford team. Um, no idea what to expect of this one. North Carolina is a, you know, very good offense. Stanford's a pretty good defense. Um, yeah, I, I think it could be an interesting clash of styles or it could be a really, really bad game. But either way, it's another football game and it'll be fun to watch at 11 a.m. It's taking place in a place. Um, it's taking place in a place name in Texas. I feel like I might have told this story last year, but like my, my college girlfriend, like her older sister went to USC and, uh, she, she was driving out, you know, for, for freshman year and she asked her sister, like, how do I get there? And she goes, take the 10 and get off at Hoover. Like, that's the directions from El Paso to Los Angeles to get to USC. The 10 just goes right through and you get off at, on, on Hoover. But it, it's like El Paso is like closer to Los Angeles than like Houston or something or whatever, like the yeah. furthest east. Like, it's crazy how much it's like basically New Mexico, you know, but it's just way over in the corner. Yeah. It's not, it's not actually, I mean, we drove. And it took us like, I don't know. I, I don't know what the exact hours was, but I don't think it was much more than like 11 hours. Does that sound right? 12 hours? Yeah. I don't think it was much more than that. It's just one freeway. Hours. You just taking the 10. Like, boom. Yeah. You just take the 10 out and it's there. Um, yeah. You drive through a little bit of southern New Mexico and then you just kind of bend down and there it is. <laughs> um, operative words. Nice. Yeah, bend, bend down and there, there's El Paso. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll move on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I talked too much about El Paso. Uh, that's my fault. Blame me, everyone. Said your hate mail to me. Uh, yeah. Saturday, December 31st, uh, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. It's also the 
uh, what they call the CFP, which I don't know if you've heard this before, the College Football Playoff. Uh, Is that what that stands for? Yeah, we well, Pac-12, we didn't get to talk about it last year, but now we do. It's in Atlanta. That's in Georgia. Uh, the Georgia Dome. Uh, so we have number four. Washington Huskies. <laughs> they won 12 games, only lost one. And they're taking on uh, number one. I don't know if you heard of these guys too, Dave. Uh, Alabama. They were 13-0 and 0 and uh, really freaking good. The Crimson Tide, though. <laughs> that's my that's my crimson tide. You can do an elephant one if you want. Yeah, but they're not an elephant. That's just a stupid thing they do, like the Stanford tree, you know, <laughs> to make up for the fact that they're the crimson tide. Uh, this one's on at 12 p.m. on New Year's Eve because that's a great time to play football games on ESPN. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's great that Washington made the playoff. I'm really excited for them. Um, I'm not so excited to watch this game. Um, I think Alabama, like some good defenses did to Jake Browning this year, might expose him a little. I think Jake Browning's really good, but I think kind of fast elite defenses this year have given him a lot of trouble. Or even just very good defenses, like Colorado's. Um, and I think Alabama is a fair cut above that. Um, Chris Peterson's gonna have some stuff up his sleeve, but Nick Saban's pretty good coach as well i would say in my opinion in my humble opinion um so yeah the washington made the playoff that's great i i don't i you know i I don't want to preview our pick right here but i don't give them much of a chance in this one i'm kind of with you i mean i've seen this alabama team in person and uh they're really freaking good but if someone you know is going to beat them i think you need a good quarterback and jake browning certainly is and i think you need a good coach um, and Chris Peterson certainly is. So I, I'd feel better, uh, without the couple of losses that, um, you know, Washington sustained on the defensive side. But Lane Kiffin can Lane Kiffin it up. He could be very distracted because he's now the, uh, you know, some Atlantic school coach or whatever. He's like the head coach of Florida Atlantic or Northern Atlantic Florida or something like that. You know, one yeah, of those schools or Northern Michigan, something. The, the Owls. Just They're the Owls. Something. Um, so he's not leaving, but. You know, I think he gets distracted enough as it is. Now he's got a head coach somewhere else. That'll be a little distracting. So maybe we'll give, we'll, maybe that'll be a puncher's chance for Washington. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say puncher's chance. I think there's always there that opportunity. I, yeah, sure. Yeah. But we'll, we'll save our picks and all that stuff for the, uh, our bowl preview extravaganza. Um, but yeah, that'll be, and then if Washington wins, they'll play on Monday, January 9th in the championship game. That's in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium. So. Um, and then the last, uh, Pac-12 bowl game, Monday, January 2nd, because January 1st falls on a Sunday. This is the Rose Bowl game presented by Northwest, uh, Northwestern Mutual. That's in, of course, Pasadena, California. I think that's how you pronounce that, Dave. Yeah. Pasadena. Pasadena. Uh, yeah, I always get that wrong. Uh, at the place called the Rose Bowl, you may have heard of it. Uh, number nine, uh, nine and three. USC Trojans. Take on the champions of the Big Ten, number five, Penn State, who is 11 and two. Yeah, this is great. Another one of those classic Rose Bowls played on January 2nd on a Monday <laughs> um, at 2 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, two of the hottest teams in the country, I think it'd be fair to say. Um, Big Ten champs 
Penn State got left out of the playoff. They're probably going to be a little bitter and heated, but they're pretty excited, too, because they get to go to the Rose Bowl, and that is the traditional destination of Big Ten champions. Uh, USC did not win the Pac-12, but I don't think... I think by the end of the year, there was a pretty fair argument that they were the best Pac-12 team. So this feels right, even though it's not necessarily... Um, Pac-12 champs versus Big Ten champs, it feels kind of that way. You know, USC did beat the uh, Pac-12 champion Washington. Uh, they just didn't quite get started in September. They, you know, thought the season started at the end of September, and it did not. Um, I, I'm interested in looking at this game a lot more. Um, Trace McSorley has struck me as a guy who has less arm strength than Jake Browning. Um, but somehow makes even more big plays downfield. And it's kind of weird to watch. Um, but USC has been playing at a super high level. I'm interested to see how well prepared they are for this bowl game. I think they'll be excited and motivated for it. That's my sense of uh, kind of the way they finish this year. I think they'll be pumped to get to that 10th win and win a Rose Bowl and really surge into next year. But I think Penn State's also playing at a super high level. I think this was going to be probably the most fun to watch of the uh of the Pac twelve Bulls slate with a with a shout out to Oklahoma State, Colorado. I think this is going to be a very, very fun game. Yeah, I, I kinda like them all. I mean the the Washington game, I mean just you're, it's it's interesting because it's the playoff, but it could be a blow. I mean it could be bad. Uh you know the Indiana one maybe but I you know for the most part I think it's a pretty good it's a smaller, you know, sample size, but I think they're all you know it's a higher level. Um, yeah. so you're not playing like a, you know, mediocre Mountain West team and like the Vegas Bowl or something and seeing a blowout there. So yeah, I think it should be, uh, pretty good. You know, I'll be at the Rose Bowl. It'll be interesting to watch. Um, the last time USC went to the Rose Bowl, they played Penn State in 2009. So it's a, you know, kind of a redo of that one. So it should be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I get those, that. yeah. So those are the, uh, you know, the, the games, the bowl games for the Pac-12. We have some news and we have some questions. So should we, I guess we could jump into that. Yeah. So should we do the, the news first? Yeah. Let's do the, some news and then, you know, maybe the, it might cover some of the questions. I don't know. I haven't looked at them yet. That's good. We yeah. have you looked at them yet either? Or? No, not at all. They could be like, do an hour of research on this. I'm like, okay, no, we're not doing that. So no, not at all. <laughs> I like to go into questions unprepared. Yeah. Um, because then you know right, it's coming so, from the heart. Like, this is just what we think. It's not like I thought about it, I Googled it, or whatever. It's just like, this is what we think. Yeah, because we are, and, you know, sometimes they're dumb and uninformed opinions. <laughs> what are you going to do? That's just what we are. Um, so Willie Taggart named Oregon's head coach, the USF head coach, um, and former Stanford running backs coach. I believe so, yeah. I think so, yeah. Um He's coming back to the Pac-12, um, not like a huge amount of Pac-12 roots, but he does have experience in the Pac-12. I really liked the hire. Um, I don't, you know, Oregon's not one of those like top, top, top tier jobs that can get, you know, the Urban Myers and that sort of, those sorts of people. They weren't going to be in the Tom Herman sweepstakes. And I thought this was a good, smart hire. Um, Willie Taggart's done good things at Western Kentucky, did good things at USF. Um, I think he's the right guy to turn around, especially an offensive-oriented program like Oregon. Um, and he's shown the adaptability to kind of meld his philosophies to his personnel. And I think all of that's to the good. And he went out and did something that I think is going to assuage a lot of concern from Oregon fans. And he got Jim Levitt, 
the guy who just turned around Colorado's defense, made it one of the elite units in the country this year. Um, they're going to pay him a boatload of money. I think it's over a million dollars a year, but he's going to be the DC. So, um, shaping up to be a pretty good staff up there at Oregon. Um, they're doing, I think, uh, the right way. They haven't made a coaching hire in forever or a, a major coaching change based on a firing in forever. Um, but, uh, I think it's going the right way. What do you think? I do. Uh, I like him. It'll be interesting to see what kind of offense because, you know, his West Coast ties are to Stanford, which is certainly a very different sort of offense. But I think there was more spread elements and stuff incorporated, uh, South Florida. Um, will it be, you know, full on like Chip Kelly run real fast? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. And it might be some kind of, you know, hybrid of a little bit of everything. Um, but yeah, I think that'll be interesting to see what they do there. And also, I mean, you're talking about a whole bunch of coaches on that staff that have been there for 20, 25 years. I mean, it's just crazy. So it's a huge change. You know, you know, he's the first African, African American head coach for, for Oregon. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of new blood coming in as far as assistants go. So it's a real, you didn't know what direction, uh, the Ducks were going to go, Dave. Uh, they could try to like keep it close to the vest and just make a small change, but this is a, this is a big change. Yeah. This is, um, it's it's quite a change, um, and it, it, I think you're right. I think it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, how different philosophically they're going to end up. Um, you know, I think he's still an offensive-oriented guy, so I think that's going to help. But he hasn't been like the super tempo spread that Oregon's been doing for now about ten years. So it's going to be very very interesting to see what new brand Oregon's looks like and. If you go by Taggart's history, it's not going to be like he's suddenly going to go 11 and 1 next year. He's kind of a slow builder. Um, takes him two to three years to rebuild things. And I think Oregon is a rebuild at this point. Um, just from a perspective of they need to recruit to their system and the whole deal. Um, and defensively they're in, you know, kind of rough shape. So, um, I think he's got a rebuild on his hands, but I think that they have the tools. They certainly have the money and the facilities. And now I think they've got the coaching staff in place. Um, but I think it, you know, I think for Oregon fans, I think you've got to take it a little bit slowly. I know everyone's expectations were raised by the Chip Kelly era. Um, but I think you got to think, okay, if we can get back to being a bowl team next year, that would be a really, really good sign. Um, but I think if he goes four and eight next year, I don't think that's necessarily a sign that he's not the guy. I think it might just be, it's going to take a little bit of time to get all of uh, his systems in place, all of his personnel in place, and everything um, necessary to get the job done. So you're saying fire him if he goes four and eight next year? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, basically, basically <laughs> fire him. Like fire him if he goes like you know zero oh and two to start the year. No. Um, yeah, no, I think they're gonna give him some time. I don't know if he's gonna have Colorado time, but he'll have some time. I think too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody gets Mike McIntyre time, but like that was the school where they didn't have enough chairs in their meeting rooms. Right. <laughs> Oregon doesn't have that problem. No. Oregon, or, Oregon has enough chairs. They've got like enough leather-bound um, chairs and books and iPads, like and engraved with you know Chip Kelly's name and stuff. Uh, so let's see. So okay, so there was that, and then there was also a couple. There wasn't any other head coaching moves, but a couple of uh, receivers coaches from the Pac-12 ended up getting head coaching jobs in the Mountain West. Yeah, it's super weird. Uh, Jay Norvell. Um, who was what most recently at ASU? Yep. Yeah. Moved on to coach Nevada, which is cool. He was yeah. also a former UCLA offensive coordinator as well as Oklahoma and a couple other things. Um, and then Brent Brennan, um, the Oregon State 
receivers coach, uh, was hired at San Jose State. Also a UCLA connection there. UCLA receiver coaches going to be head coaches. Where have we heard that before? Huh. Carl Thoreau. That was, he was, he, yeah, I'm just bringing that up. He, okay. was a, he was a Denver Broncos receivers coach. He went to be he was. UCLA head coach. Anyway. He, he beat uh, USC. Brent, Brent, yeah, I was going into a dark place there. Uh, Brent Brennan, uh, San Jose State's new head coach. Going to be interesting to see. Um, you know, it's always a jump to go from an assistant to a head coach. And especially if you, I mean, Brennan especially is a career, you know, receivers type coach. I mean, he was the offensive coordinator at San Jose State. Um, had a run there from 2005 to 2010. So it's familiar with the territory. Um going to be interesting but cool to see that happen you like to see uh pac-12 assistants moving up and into uh other cool jobs yeah and they're still on the west coast so it's kind of cool to see that um coordinator switches uh so you know obviously with the oregon stuff we know uh jim levitt uh moving up up there too so that's a you know vacancy for colorado um ucla needs an offensive coordinator dave yeah they do they do Correct. Well said. Where uh, where are they going for that? It's a great question. Great, <laughs> great, great question. Um, I, I don't. I mean, at this point, a lot of the like hot ish names that people thought you know UCLA might have a chance at getting, kind of no. Uh, they've been hired a lot of different places. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I think it's probably going to be a situation where this takes a little bit of time. Um, but you know, Jim Mora plays these sorts of coordinator searches pretty close to the vest. Um, I, I, the one trepidation I have is that he doesn't have a huge college contact network um, of guys that, I mean, he's not been a college coach. He's only been a college coach for five years. And before that, all of his connections are in the NFL. And I think if UCLA hires an NFL tree offensive coordinator, somebody who's going to run a pro style offense, they might as well just not play next year. It's football season. <laughs> Whoa! Their offensive line is in such a state that if they try to run some sort of downhill power, you know, rushing attack like they tried to do this year, um, they are going to be just as bad, if not worse, running the ball. Wow. Well, I mean, there's always free agency in the draft, right? I mean, that's right. Right. Those are things that exist. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know. I think I I think they would be best served um, going and finding somebody who can run a spread type system. I don't know if they're going to do that. I don't know if they're married to the idea of trying to be a pro style system. Um, but I think that they do not have the personnel in place to do so. So, and I think there's going to be an element and this is just the reality of the situation. Uh, Jim Mora, even if internally nobody's necessarily feeling that way, he has the external impression that he is going to be on the hot seat entering next year. And it's, you know, that's always a little bit difficult to hire coordinators when you're going into a season as a potential hot seat coach because a lot of guys who are up and comers or really, you know, promising candidates maybe don't want to tie their, hitch their wagon, so to speak, to a coach who may or may not be gone after the following year. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I, you know, just, and this is kind of guesswork at this point, but I would guess this still takes a while. Um, I don't know that they're, they're super close to getting somebody at this point. Um, okay, so I don't re- recall any other coordinator switches. So email us if we're wrong, if we miss somebody. Is there anyone else that pops up in your head, Dave? No, not really. I mean, Colorado now needs to get a DC, but yeah. I don't know if they're going to hire internally. Um, that was what some of the sound 
some of it sounded like. Um, they couldn't match Oregon's money, most likely, because um, Oregon offered stupid money. It was like 4.8 for four years. Yeah, Bruce, yeah, Bruce uh, said, Bruce Feldman, our buddy, said uh, he was going to be the highest paid assistant in the Pac-12, according to a source. Yeah, taking, take, taking over for uh, Adrian Clem. Wow. UCLA's offensive coordinator. Or off, sorry, not offensive coordinator. Maybe, UCLA's offensive line coach. Maybe he will be. Yeah. Um, okay, so coordinator stuff. There's a couple of grad transfer quarterbacks. Um, so Honor Solomon announced he was going to transfer. I don't know. I don't rem- I don't think he picked a place yet. Um, but I heard that. And then Max Brown from USC, because he got, you know, demoted and uh, Sam Darnold took over. He announced today he's going to Pittsburgh. So he took an official visit there last weekend. So he'll be graduating to Pittsburgh. And, and well, he's already graduated. He's going to Pittsburgh now. Transfer. Yep. Any other transfers that you can recall? Um, Again, let us know if we, we missed anybody. I tried to take notes and put it all down, but, you know, we, we missed stuff. And I'm not thinking of anybody notable right now. Um Quarterback changes are generally the big ones for me. Yeah. And Drew Solomon transferring out is a big one. Um, I, you know, I kind of, I didn't necessarily see that one coming, but it makes sense. Um, he's never been, he's never really felt like Rich Rod's guy, um, from kind of the beginning, even when he was starting as like a redshirt freshman. So that one makes sense to me. I'm interested to see where he goes. I think he's, I don't think he was ever a perfect fit for that system. Um, so. I'm I'm interested to see. I think he could make an impact for somebody um, who's, you know, more interested in him as a thrower and you know, kind of can fit the system a little bit more around his arm rather than his, uh, you know, somewhat limited athleticism. All right. Uh, yeah. So tweet us or whatever. Yell at us if we we miss somebody. Sorry about that. Um, Pat tweeted us, Dave PH55 on the Twitter. Um, wanted to know about when the Pac-12 schedule was going to be released, and uh, Kyle tweeted out. From ESPN, uh, it'll be mid-January. So that's when we'll know when the schedule is. Um, Dave, I mean, I just want to mention there wasn't any West Coast candidates that made the top five for the Heisman. Uh, Jake Browning and Dory Jackson, I think, were the highest. They got the highest votes on the West Coast, but they were kind of a snub. And John Wilner actually did an interesting piece that the representation of the, the West, they split up the voter. Yeah, I have a vote. They, they split up the voters regionally. But the West has like a disproportionate lower number. Like I think 16%. We have 16% of the votes, but like 23% of the populace or, or the whatever population. So there's a, there's a little problem there. Kind of a West Coast, real West Coast bias when the Heisman comes. And maybe that's why Dave Christian McCaffrey is leaving. He's going to the NFL. So we're not going to get to see him anymore. It's almost like it's a uh, stupid, meaningless award. Yeah. Almost. Almost. <laughs> Not, not, not fully, but almost like a stupid, meaningless reward with no actual criteria of any kind. Yeah. You know, I, McCaffrey might have been up there too. I, I didn't think, I have to look back at the numbers. I didn't think McCaffrey was as high as like Browning and stuff, but uh, I don't think so. I think he was like, uh, bottom of the like others receiving votes. Okay. I didn't think he was super high up in that list. And I thought he should have been. I mean, if you look yeah. at his numbers, his numbers he was, were great. He, he dropped back a little bit from last year, but it wasn't that much. And yeah. he was, you know, I think by the numbers, the best running back in the country, just from a pure rushing standpoint. So, yeah, I thought that was stupid. Um, but I think the Heisman is stupid, as you can tell by my, you know, by literally the words coming out of my mouth. <laughs> that, that's how you can tell, yes. Yeah. Um, 
And then another note I put down, Stanford ban is, is banned again. And there's a big controversy going on. I read a, um, a, a letter from the, the band members to the administration. It was just like, you know, keeping, it really wanted to keep things weird. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, that they're trying to be held down and stuff. And I felt bad. I mean, you know, good, bad, or different. I mean, it's a Stanford band. Like it's, a, there's a tradition there, just the way they do it. Um, you know, you want to see them out there. You want to see them perform in their unique style. It's just something that's unique about the school and the band and the football team and all that kind of stuff. But there's some, uh, there's a little dissension. It looks like the, 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 maybe some of the big boosters. I don't know. Some people are kind of coming down hard on the band, Dave. It looks like. Yeah. I'm, I, 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 I kind of go back and forth. I think this one is for, I'm trying to find out even what it's for. It's for like alcohol violations or something. Yeah. And this was some from like a couple years ago and they had like some hearings that just like it, it's like taking a long time. And then, yeah, I, I don't know. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but. I wasn't going to dive too deep into it, but I thought we'd just bring it up. And... Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's silly. I mean, they're just a, you know, I think that, I think, you know, I, I think the Stanford band is somewhat annoying, but I think that's part of the shtick. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I, look, they're college kids. They're allowed to be annoying. I mean, that's part of the thing. And like it was, you know, alcohol controlled substances, hazing and sexual harassment. That's not good. Um, but they should be regulated kind of the way fraternities are. And if this is part of that, then fine. But if it's, you know, some outsized thing because they're somewhat of the public face of the university, I mean, people know the Stanford band as being kind of an embarrassment. That's part of the idea. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I mean, if they're making the fun of the Irish, like people, you know, hundreds of thousands of people dying in the Irish potato famine. Yes. Okay. Ban them, but like, you know, or give them a suspension or whatever. But you know, for some of the stuff, it's like, it, what, what is the statute of limitations on something like that? <laughs> like, at what point is it okay to just like start making fun of like, is it like the crusades? Like, can you start like saying, oh yeah, a lot of people died, ha? Huh? I mean, what's the point? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know what the point is. I'm not, I'm not saying it's necessarily the Irish potato famine, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the answer to that question. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the Stanford band. Uh, yeah, I, I'll say this. I'm having a hard time carrying one way or the other. Gotcha. I think uh, I, I think they are annoying. I think they've had a few good jokes in the past. Um, but I just, you know, if they're a bunch of idiots, and it depends on the specifics of the violations. If they've been doing some really nasty stuff, then, yeah, I think they probably deserve to be suspended for a year. But if it's just kind of been typical college behavior, then I think it's probably outsized because they are somewhat of a public face thing. Well, let's jump into these. We have a few questions and we'll, uh, wrap up the show. Earl in West LA said, Dave, I guess I maybe, well, I'll read it because it's to you. Uh, last week during the discussion of the Rose Bowl selection process, you indicated, uh, and the selection committee considered the body of work during the season and not who is playing the best at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just the opposite of how the process works for the NCAA basketball tournament. Why the double standard? Basketball rewards the kids for getting better while football penalizes them for not being perfect. Can you explain this disparity? Thank you, Earl in West L.A. So I I thought I did the distinction then. Um, My distinction is because this is not part of the championship, like it's not part of the playoff, I think it has to be more of a body of work thing. I think for the playoff it would make more sense to go with a hot team because you're trying to get the four best teams at that moment, right? But for the Rose Bowl, it's I mean, it's the way I think of bowls that are kind of um, not associated with the national championship in any way, 
is that they are rewards for the season you just had, you know? Um, and I think Colorado, from a body of work perspective, going into the Pac-12 championship game, had a better season. Like they had, I mean, they were 10 and 2 versus 9 and 3 for USC. They had, um, one more Pac-12 games. Um, I, you know, I, I think I said it in the preamble to that, but if they got blown out against Washington, that would change the calculus for me a little bit. But if that had been a close game, I think it would have been a little bit, I hate to use words like unfair because I don't think that's what it is, but yeah, I, I would have thought I would have been a little bit dis- more disappointed for Colorado if they hadn't gotten the Rose Bowl, if they'd lost a close game to Washington. Um, because I think they did enough to deserve that. Um, and you know, winning the South division, going to the title game, losing a close one to Washington, I think they would have been, and I think that probably would have been the way they looked at it in the committee too. I don't think, I think it was a factor certainly of them getting blown out by a team that USC beat that certainly uh, played a role in this. But compared to the NCAA basketball tournament, it, the NCAA basketball tournament for me is the equivalent of the playoff here. Um, it's part of the championship process. So you want the teams that are playing hot at the end of the year that are, you know, surging at the end of the year. That's why they look at those last 10 games. But for bowl games, because they are just essentially exhibitions at the end of the year, I think they've got to be a reward for the season. That's kind of my my thought on it anyway. Gotcha. All right. Well, hopefully, Earl, that answered your question. Um, Nicholas said, Dave sounds back to normal. Thanks for getting that figured out. Much more listenable. Do you um, want to know what it was? You want to know what it was, everyone? You want me to take you behind the curtain? Uh, my daughter had the gains on two of my other channels way up. So I was gaining not just from my mic, but from like ambient noise. And the result was that everything was muffled. Ah, there you go. So your, It'll be hand curtain for you. So your daughter might not be an audio engineer when she grows up. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Um, well, yeah, Nicholas, we want to make this more listenable. If if you don't, we don't. We want to make it listenable as far as the tones. Um, if maybe our voices aren't listenable, or what we say isn't listenable, but we want to make it so at least it's pleasurable to the ear. If you don't listen to the words that we put together and form sentences with, exactly. That's all that matters. <laughs> um, should I read off Nick's? Yeah, uh, I'll do Anthony, then you do Nick's last. Is that cool? Okay. Yeah, it works for me. Hey, Ryan and Dave, uh, is Oregon a top 15 job? And what are the five best jobs in the Pac-12, and how would you rank them nationally? Anthony. Love it, Anthony. Great That's a good one, question. yeah. I thought, Nick, we could end with, so be, this will be good. All right, is Oregon a top 15 job? <sighs> I think it's top 20. Um, yeah, it's very borderline for top 15 for me. Yeah, I would. I think it's close. I mean, there's... There's so many good things as far as, I mean, you don't have the tradition, which is, you know, that's, that's important. Usually top 15 jobs, you're talking a lot of tradition. Um, you know, recent tradition, yes. Um, you know, facilities, uh, having, you know, Nike, the the biggest apparel company in the world, you know, behind you. I mean, there's a lot of positives, but I think a lot of, that's not the, you know, it's not as big of a differentiating fact, you know, differentiate, differentiation with other schools right now. Because everyone's doing that. I mean, every school in the SEC, I mean, you're seeing Mount West schools put in new facilities and stuff like that. So, um, the fact, you know, it's remote, it's, it's on the West Coast, which is, you know, the weaker, you know, yeah. well, we shouldn't say that. So I, I would say it's borderline, but they're still good, you know? Yeah. I, I agree with all of that. I think they're top 20 ish. Um, I think top 15, you could make that argument in a few areas, but you could also make arguments for other schools in a few areas. So I think that's probably borderline, but. Top 20, I think solid, and I think that's elevated considerably from when Chip Kelly started versus uh, now where it is now. Yeah. 
Um, I think it's still a very good job, even though the, they had this past season. Um, I think the program's been elevated so much that they can recruit nationally a little. Um, they're not going to be recruiting nationally the way like an Alabama does, but they can they can get some guys from Texas. They can get some. They they can they've developed a brand um, in terms of especially recruiting skill talent that I think they can solidly get guys from around the country. And at Oregon, you need to recruit semi-nationally just because the talent base isn't that great. But that's also that'll lead into when we're talking about the best jobs in the Pac-12, you're probably not going to see Oregon in the top three because the talent base around Eugene is just not strong. And the talent base in Portland is, you know, there's there's a few guys every year, but it's not great. So um, it, it can be a little bit tough to recruit um, at a super top 20-ish level consistently there. And then for um, the five best jobs in national rankings. Um, okay. Five best jobs in the Pac-12. For U- USC would be one. I would say USC uh, one. Um, for me, oh. and so this is going to sound really annoying because we're the USC and UCLA guys. UCLA is the second best job pretty much simply because it's in L.A. Um, and you get the recruiting base that's in L.A. Um, I think it's been a mismanaged job for a very, very, very long time now. Um, it hasn't been to a... Uh, UCLA hasn't been to a Rose Bowl since 1999. Hasn't won a Rose Bowl since 1986. Um, so yeah, I, I, you could probably talk me out of it, too. I think potentially it's the second best job in the Pac-12. Like I think the potential of the UCLA job is second behind USC. I mean, the the I get it because I mean the the market is huge, and I mean just having the the talent that's right next door, like that's all around you. I mean, just stupid little not stupid, but I mean Sarah High School. Yeah, USC's last two uh, unanimous All Americans came from one high school that's like just down the street. You know, it's like crazy that you can get like you don't see five stars in these high schools over and over again like you do in Southern California if it's modern day or St. John Bosco or Crespi or wherever it is. I mean, all these major schools that produce, you know, division one, high four star or five star talent is right in your backyard. And if there's so many times you hear in the recruiting pitch like, Oh, he's looking at Oregon or Oklahoma or, but he might just stay home and go to USC or UCLA. And that's like, if you're just could be the afterthought and get some of these guys, I mean, that's, that's a huge advantage. Yeah. And I think that it's, you know, it's an indictment, I think, of both schools that they haven't had more success in the last 30 <laughs> years than they have. Um, you know, USC obviously had a nice run under Pete Carroll, but I mean, if you go back to through these programs since like, I don't know, the end of the eighties, the nineties were kind of dreadful. Um, 2000s, pretty good for USC, but given the amount of talent in LA, especially compared to the rest of the Pac-12 and what they have to do to get talent, I mean, yeah, it's stupid. Um, anyway, UCLA, probably the second best potentially. Um, I think performance wise, you could make an argument they've been bottom half of the Pac-12, but I think there's the potential there. Um, number three for me is Washington. Yeah. Just because they've got the history and tradition too. Yeah, I'd go Washington. And um, Washington, the Seattle area, a little bit easier to recruit than Oregon in that area. Um, and then, ooh, I might go Stanford just because they're so unique and they can recruit nationally um, with their academic standards. Anybody who fits their criteria, they have a really, really good chance of getting. And it's you know it's not a huge pool of guys every year, 
And if it's, you know, limited one year in terms of linemen, that can hurt them. But um, I think Stanford's my number four. Five is interesting. And I think I, I think those would be my top four, too, in that order, or maybe a little different. But that would you put Oregon at five because of the, you know, recent success? I mean, who would you go five? You know, I, I'm, I'm probably going Oregon. I think yeah. Colorado has that potential to crack the top five because they can still recruit the Midwest a little bit, um, but they're not there yet. They yeah. still have to have a little bit more sustained success to get out of the... I mean, we talk about programs cratering, but Colorado cratered for yeah. a decade. Um, I think it has that potential to climb back into that top five thing, but um, they need to get more money invested in the program. They need to really re-enliven booster support, fan support, the whole thing. So that's a ways away. I think they have the potential. I think I'd probably go Oregon rounding out the top five at this point. But, I mean, you could talk me into like an ASU maybe. You know, I wouldn't feel great about it, but you could talk me into it. I think Utah is unique. I think they can rec- they can get um, a lot of lineman types, a lot of uh, they can stack the defensive and offensive lines. They get a little bit of that, um, you know, the LDS bump as well, kind of the way BYU does, where they get some older and more mature guys, and so their recruiting can be a little bit unique. ASU can recruit uniquely too, though. They can get the JC guys. Um, in a lot easier than a lot of other schools in the league. So, um, I, I think it's in that, it's that conversation between those three for me, probably right now, Utah, ASU, and Oregon. I'd probably go Oregon just because their brand is so much better than either of those two schools. Yeah. No, I think that all makes sense. Um, Cal's got, you know, some, some great tradition, but, you know, no, no Rose Bowls, like that's tough. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while. Um, and their program, and, and I mean, financially, the Cal program is in such dire straits. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's got to, that's got to knock it down quite a bit. Um, and you know, the, they're in danger of losing their coach to, they were in danger of losing their coach to, like, who? Some random Texas school this year. Yeah, Baylor. Yeah, so. Okay. Oh, then, uh, where would they all rank nationally? <sighs> So, all right. So, best. Let's do this. Best job nationally. Um, Alabama is probably, but I a lot of that's associated with Saban. But Alabama, sure. Um, LSU, sure. Um, yeah. I don't know where do you where do you stack USC when you're talking uh, <laughs> the elite? Because you've got SEC schools like. If you look at Florida's recruiting base, if you look at Florida State's recruiting base, like those are comparable to USC, the LA recruiting base, essentially. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I think USC's a top five job. I think it's in that mix with those SEC schools. And the competition historically in the Pac-12 against USC is less than you have in the SEC or in the, you know, in, in the ACC. Yeah. So, I have them top five. That's like, you know, probably three or four usually. I mean, I think Texas is up there. Oh yeah. Texas, duh. Yeah. yeah Texas I mean, for sure. Like Ohio State. I mean, there's, it's in that conversation, but there's, I, because of the competition factor, there's not, you know, if you're Alabama, you're, you know, even though you're the big dog, you have LSU and Auburn and Florida, like everyone's still coming after your guys. Um, like when USC was rolling, there wasn't a lot of people that were able to come after their guys, you know, like they could, they could dominate the, the recruiting in the area. So I think 
there's some advantages there where it's not as, you know, super stiff competition like in some of the other spots. And, te- you know, Texas right now, Texas is great. You got your own network, all that kind of stuff. I mean, like Notre Dame, I think, has fallen off some. I, I probably wouldn't put them. Uh, but just so much tradition. I mean, it, it just depends how you rank them. But uh, I would, you know, I think they'd solidly be in the top five, something like that. Yeah, and usually the way we're basing this all is kind of how easy it is to recruit to a particular school. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's a huge part of it in college football. Um, and, you know, coach perception and that whole deal. But, um, yeah, I, I think USC is top five. Um, actually, now that we're doing this, I'm going to revise Oregon down because they're not fringe top 20 if we're saying USC is like top five-ish. Because, I, you know, say UCLA or Washington is the second best job in the Pac-12. I'm not comfortable saying either of those is any better than top 15, right? Like, I think UCLA is a top 15 job. I don't think it's a top 10 yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, you're if right. those so. are top 15 jobs, then Oregon's not top 20. Yeah, I, I hear you. So I think in that case, it would be, a, you, Oregon's probably top 25. Yeah, top 25. Because you've got, I mean, there's like Michigan, there's Notre Dame, there's, you know, Georgia. I think Georgia's one of those potential energy programs the same way that, UCLA is in that the Georgia, like the area, the, the recruiting base for Georgia is incredible. Um, and they have the potential to be a, a, a elite SEC East team and, you know, contend in the SEC. They just have had, you know, kind of a run of just not very good for a while now. Um, but I mean, there's, there's a bunch of, you know, kind of really good programs or really good potential programs out there. So yeah, I think, uh, I think, you know, it's probably USC top five. I think Washington and UCLA probably in the top 15-ish. Um, then you're probably looking at Stanford as a top 20-ish. And then Oregon is top 25 for me. Yeah. Somewhere in that range. That seems fair. Uh, hopefully that answered your question, Anthony. And then, Dave, I'll let you do uh, our buddy Nick's. All right. Let's do our rundown with Nick. Um, all right. Hi, this is Nick from Cypress, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. First rundown, UW beats Colorado. Let's be frank, Colorado wasn't that great. They got lucky previous two weeks versus Washington State and Utah. Ooh. And then faced a good, not great UW who made them look average. Dave, I think that is, a hot, that is a hot take <laughs> that I do not agree with, Nick. I, I disagree strongly. Colorado uh, was the, uh, you know, you could make an argument. Uh, I'm not going to make it. They were the second best team in the country this year. <laughs> it's not a good argument. It's not one that you can defend in any real way, but you can make it. Do it. Make it. Uh, UW will be in the Final Four, and the better number two team will be in the Rose Bowl, where it's the second home at USC Trojans. Now, bowl predictions. Indiana versus Utah. Simple. This isn't a homer pick. Utah beats the Hoosiers in the Bay Area, but don't care what the spread is. Uh, Oklahoma State versus Colorado, former Big 12 game. At first look, I wanted to say Oklahoma State would win, but this is Colorado close. So... All right, if Colorado's not that great, that means Oklahoma State must be butt. Um, <laughs> Washington State versus Minnesota. Simple, Washington State offense scores too much, and Washington State defensive linemen own the line of scrimmage and win big versus Golden Gophers in San Diego. Stanford versus North Carolina. Well, if this was basketball, I would say Tar Heel, but this is all Stanford. They won't stop Christian McCaffrey in his last college football game. The granddaddy, the Rose Bowl 2017. Penn State versus USC. Let's be real, this game will go down no different than 2009. And just like the last time USC was in the Rose Bowl a few weeks ago, with USC winning big. I expect both Juju and Ajax with a TD and Darnold owning Penn State fight on. Mark it down just like how I called USC owning UW month before that game. 
Last is UW versus Alabama. Sorry, Homer Pac-12. Dan and me will leave. Dan and me will leave with the best-paid college football team, Alabama, beating UW soundly. FYI, when I meant well-paid team, that wasn't only the coaches but the players as well. LOL. <laughs> Too bad NCAA turns that blind eye. So with my predictions, Pac-12 goes five and one and three and zero versus the Little Ten. Fight on. Love your podcast, Ryan. Can't wait till National Signing Day. And Dave, you're invited to the party where we get our kids we want and not go one for 12 on kids we want. Thanks, Nick. That was like a couple of years ago. That wasn't like recent, right? That was, uh, that was the seminal, uh, 2014 recruiting class where okay. UCLA decided that it was going to recruit guys from Georgia and Alabama okay. and, uh, didn't do so successfully. Nick, man, and, throwing and some Louisiana, barbs. In Louisiana. They tried to get some guys from Louisiana. Yeah. And they got one of them, and they missed on the other three. So He was uh, throwing some shots out there, man. I, I, you know, hey, you know, you, of your get, buffs. You, get a, you get a little confidence in the USC fan, and suddenly the claws come out, you know? <laughs> it was so much more pleasant when it was, you know, is it going to be Lane Kiffin as the head coach, or is it going to be Steve Sarkeesian? <laughs> but now... But so now it's nine and three. He didn't have any questions, huh? He just had a, his recap. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. There was a whole lot there. Sweet. Well, let's see. How long did we go? Because we were going to try to keep it to 45 minutes. We went an hour and 13. But Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds <laughs> like it's about our speed. <laughs> it's funny. Like Sometimes towards the end, I feel like, um, you know, okay, we should probably move it along or something. And, I, you know, I'm good talking. And I know you got you know, your kid in the background, your kid in the... And you're like, okay, let's let's talk about this nationally. Let's start with Alabama. Like you start going, I'm like, okay, Dave's ready to keep talking. This is good. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. all right. Well, yeah, it's uh, you know, we got to give the public what they want. Yes, right. And what they want is just more. More. <laughs> they do like more. Yeah, more is good. Um, awesome. Well, Dave, hey, great stuff. So next week. Leading up to Christmas, I'm going to be going out of town. We'll have to figure this out, but I think I can do it from the road. We'll, we have to do Let's our do Pac-12 bowl. End of week, maybe. Like, just like, we could maybe even do the Monday before the bowl game starts. Yeah, maybe that, maybe we'll do that. The 26th, maybe? Yeah, I, I, I'll be around that day, so maybe we can do that. Yeah, um, let's try for that because we won't really have a whole lot to talk about this coming week because we're still going to be in advance of all the bowl games. Yeah. And then, uh, and then they'll come fast and heavy. That'll we'll have uh, the rest of the scout guys that are in bowl games. We'll uh, have them send in a preview. Um, and then Dave and I, of course, will do USC's and UCLA's. Pre- oh, wait. Sorry. I didn't mean yeah, that. no. Hey, no. there's a shot. Is that not? That was good. That was good. That was that was your first, like, uh, <laughs> that was your first partisan shot, I think. <laughs> I don't try not to good. do. I thought it was, I thought you dug the knife in well. It was nice. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Felt good. It's actually kind of refreshing to not have to cover, a, you know, a bowl game. Sometimes you're just like, eh, you know, would it be worth I it? Am, I am. I cannot tell you how ecstatic I am that I do not have to watch any more UCLA football this year. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. We'll be back next year. Um, okay, so we'll try to do early. So if you have any questions about the bowl, uh, bowl games, send them in. Um, Pac12 podcast at gmail dot com. Tweet us at Pac12 podcast, and we'll try to get the rest of the. Pac-12, like we said, doing the previews and stuff. But that's David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. We are the Podcast of Champions. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.